You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Craig Turnbull. Uh, For those of you who are in the room, it's wonderful to see you. For those of you who are outside on the lawn, it's wonderful to peek through the light in the doorway and see one or two of you. But we're glad that all of you are here today, so thankful that we can worship in this way. Don't take that for granted. We don't. We're very, very grateful for that. And uh, thankful to be walking through this series uh, called Return, where we're in 2 Chronicles, where we're having a lot of fun looking at a bunch of dead kings. It's more fun than it sounds. We're looking at some wonderful stories, and as we're seeing the chronicler, or the writer of 1 and 2 Chronicles, he's calling, after the fact, Israel to look back and to return. And for those of us here today, thousands of years removed from the Chronicle, we're looking back and our hearts are being called to return to the Lord as well. Uh, So far, we've taken a look at three kings. We've seen Solomon, we've seen Asa, and then last week, Pastor Carl walked us through Jehoshaphat. And now this week, we get a fourth king. So if Solomon was the one who built the wealth of the United Kingdom, After the Civil War, Asa and Jehoshaphat were the ones who secured the borders. And now, Uzziah, the king we're going to look at today, is the king who really gets to enjoy this wealth. Under Uzziah's reign, Judah's going to reach enormous levels of wealth and prosperity, and especially related to the divided kingdom, he's going to see more than most will. So, The lessons that we're learning from the text here in 2 Chronicles, I'm praying that we're going to be learning additional ones here today, praying that as we look at this man's life, this Uzziah, that his life will give us some helpful lessons specifically on the topic of prosperity. What does prosperity look like? How do you get it? And how do you keep it? Because it's one thing to be prosperous, but it's another thing entirely to actually keep that prosperity. Uzziah is the man of the nation, the man, the king, at a time when it is sweet to be a king. He's the one who enjoys the prosperity, but this prosperity is going to burn him to the ground. And there's lessons in there for us, as we're going to see. There's going to be lessons that warn us and lessons that also encourage us. But more on that in just a second. Let's look at his story. You've got your Bibles open to 2 Chronicles 26. Let's start right in verse 1. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built a loaf and returned it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Verse 3, Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Pause there. So that's introductory stuff. Nothing exceptional about that, but let me explain a little bit. Uzziah is made king at 16 years old after his father Amaziah dies. That's normal succession stuff. The father dies, the son takes over. Now, what makes this exceptional is not just his age, but how long he would reign. For any king to reign 52 years is exceptional. 
It tells you something about the condition of his life, about the condition of the nation. A couple more things are helpful for you to see in those first four verses. There's mention of that city, Eloth. Eloth is a city, it's in the northernmost part of the Red Sea. It's the northernmost port in the Gulf of Aqaba. And why is a port city and a mention of a port city helpful? Well, because Israel has no ports. And if you have a port, that means water. And if you have water, that means ships. If you have ships, that means trade. If you have trade, that means money. Translation, Uzziah is taking the nation up. I want you to see this also, more importantly, verse five. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Zechariah, not the guy who wrote the book in the Bible, some other guy, same name, instructs him in the fear of the Lord, which is a good thing because he's just eligible, just barely eligible to get his G2 license. <laughs> any, any 16-year-olds here? They typically don't raise their hand. Okay. Because <laughs> they feel like I'm going to single them out. And listen, I'm, I'm sure most 10th graders can do a great job as a king. Maturity, rock solid, intelligence completely in place. But just in case, just in case, the text tells us he's got some help by the name of Zechariah. And by the way, how amazing to be raised this way in the fear of the Lord. What a starting place. And notice the results of Uzziah seeking the Lord. We read this, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Now the last word there in verse five, prosper, is a neat word. You wanna hear something neat about it? In the Hebrew, it carries with it the idea, not just of general prosperity, it carries with it the idea of, get this, a forced entry. Meaning, any obstacles in Uzziah's way, his pathway to success, the Lord is going to kick them down. The Lord is the battering ram against any opposition that Uzziah would face. You know what I'm talking about when I say battering ram? They've changed over the ages. Here's a modern day version of a battering ram. Um, this is actually a battering ram contest, only in America. And I like how it says, have a nice day. Have you seen one of these in operation? You pick up the battering ram, or the police take up the battering ram, or the soldiers do, and they slam it right by the lock, and the lock opens wide. The doors are smashed open. The hand of the Lord is with Uzziah to do just this. Now that is some kind of prosperity. And here's the first point of today's message. When it comes to prosperity for us today, we must remember, we must remember that all prosperity comes from the Lord. The Lord chooses to blow down any walls that stand in his king. Uzziah's way. Let's look at the next few verses. I'm going to tell you exactly what the Lord does for this man, uh, how many doors get blown down. Look at verse 6 with me. Uzziah went out and made war against the Philistines and broke down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jebna and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities in the territory of Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. Verse 7, God helped him 
against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbal and against the Munites. The Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt for he became very strong. I don't wanna do the map thing for you. I'll just summarize it really clearly. What's happened here, what the, what the chronicler is telling us, is he's describing the borders. To the north, Judah has Israel, so that's not mentioning, but to the east and to the west and to the south, those are all opponents, and he mentions them all, and they've all been taken care of. They've all been beaten. Borders are safe. In fact, borders are expanded. Fame spreads. Border security, the nation is safe, but that's not all. What happens next? Verse 9, moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem, that's the capital, and at the corner gate, and at the valley gate, and at the angle, and fortified them. Those are battlements. Those are defensive measures against any opponent who would dare make its way across the nation. We're ready for you. The defense is in place. The offense is taking care of business. Now that we're secured, let's develop inside. Verse 10, and he built small towers in the wilderness and cut out many cisterns, for he had large herds, both in the Shephelah and in the plain, and he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. He's planting, he's growing the interior because the interior is now safe. We can have farmland because no one's going to attack our farmers. And we can grow crops that feed our people. Now my people are safe and well-fed. Now let's get the army in place. Verse 11. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war. Verse 12. The whole number of the heads of the fathers' houses of mighty men of valor were 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 who could make war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. Manpower in place, soldiers in place, big army ready to go, well fed, now we gotta stock them with weapons, verse 14. And Uzziah prepared for all the army, shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows and stones for slinging. In Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men to be in the towers and at the corners to shoot arrows and great stones, maybe even a battering ram or two. Uzziah had developed the nation, do you see this? Into a dangerous, powerful country. And we read the conclusion, and his fame spread far for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. Now that's a, that's a success story if you've ever seen one. That's a story of prosperity. Everything you need, right? You, you, you've won the wars. You've put up the battlements. You've got the agricultural development happening. You've raised the army. You've equipped the army. You've got the food coming in. Everything you need. And did you see bookending that success story? Verse five and verse 15 bookend it with this summary statement. In verse five it says, God made him prosper. And then in verse 15 it says, for he was marvelously helped. Translation, this Uzziah, this is why you succeeded. This is why you're strong, Uzziah. This is why you're prosperous, Uzziah. 
Because the Lord, the Lord himself, has kicked down every door that would stand in your way. Uzziah, you have it all. Uzziah has what he has because of someone else's effort. Not because of his effort, but because of someone else's effort. We see that occurring around in our world, don't we? People who have what they have because of someone else's effort. In some ways, this is rather obvious in the world about us. It's a very different thing, isn't it, to be born into wealth versus actually having made that wealth yourself. Sometimes, and I say sometimes, the family is unaware of how good they have it because they've never had anything else. They were born on third base, but thought they hit a triple. You know what I'm saying? They had what they had because of someone else's effort. But now put the Lord into the equation for all of us. And once we do that, this blindness really affects us all. This is now true of us all. We have what we have because of someone else's effort. What do you have today? What's in your life today? Whether wealth, health, family, career, cars, investments, clothing, skills, brain, a heart that is actually beating, lungs that are actually filling. Can I ask you the question? Can I ask you the question? Can you name one good thing that you have that wasn't given to you by God? Can you name one good thing? In preparing to preach this, it seems right that I ask myself that question, right? I gotta walk myself through the text first, and so sitting down, here's what I came up for you. I'll put this on screen for you. This is the one good thing I have apart from God. I'll give you a minute, you can write that down. <laughs> Those of you with your cameras, you wanna snap a photo. Nothing. Nothing. But I know how this works, because I do it myself. Yeah, yeah, but I worked hard for what I've got. I went to school, I went long to school. I put in the investment. I made the risks when others weren't willing to make the risks. I worked the late hours to have what I have. I lifted the weight. I was dedicated when others were quitting. I figured it out when others didn't figure it out. I was disciplined, man. I get some credit, right? But then the question comes back to all of us. But how did you have that strength? How did you have that mind? Did you choose where you were going to be born? Did you choose when you were going to be born? Did you choose to have the brains that you were going to have, the height that you were going to have, the muscle density that you were going to have, the gender that you were going to have, the skin color, the culture, the family, the parents that you have? 
Who was it that was beating your heart while you were accomplishing such heroic things? Who was it that was filling your lungs as you were filling your bank account? Using the body that you didn't choose in the town that you didn't decide to grow up in with the mind that you didn't decide to design on your own. Who was it that did those things? Who then is responsible for all your prosperity? Who is responsible for everything you have that's good? The Apostle Paul picks this truth up and he speaks to a very, very wealthy church in a wealthy city, one of the wealthiest in the Roman world, actually. The city of Corinth, he puts these words down, which are pretty accurate for all of us. What do you have that you didn't receive? If, if you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? Why are you going on bragging about things that were gifts given to you? Why are you making like those gifts were things that you yourself did? Understand this. Prosperity comes from the Lord. And if there is any boasting to be had, it's all his. Now, earlier in the Old Testament, even before the ransomed Israelites would put one sandal into the promised land, way before Uzziah, in fact, way before any Israelite inhabited the promised land, the, the Egyptians have been ransomed. They have been rescued out, and the Lord would warn them as they stand on the edge of the new home that they are about to step into. The Lord who smashed the global superpower of the day, Egypt. The Lord who plundered Egypt as the people would leave. The Lord who opened up the sea so that they could walk through on dry ground. The Lord who choked out Egypt with his own hands now warns his people, the time's gonna pass and you're gonna forget. You're gonna forget what he has done for them. Deuteronomy chapter 8 has these words. I'll put them on screen for you. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna and which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Now verse 17. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. The Lord says to his people, do not forget, do not forget that your prosperity comes from me. I am the source, says the Lord. Don't think for a second that where you are and what you have is anything a result of your efforts, but only the result of my kindness and my generosity towards you. Don't think it's because of you. 
but they forgot. And Uzziah forgot. Just like we forget. Second Chronicles 26, verse 16. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. Uzziah became strong. Life was going really well. And then his heart started to lie to him. His heart had told him that he, Uzziah, Uzziah was a reason for Uzziah's success. Literally, his heart becomes high. He looks out at all that he has done. He looks at the wars. He looks at the battlements. He looks at the army. He looks at the food and the crops. He looks at the safety and the security. He has the cars. He has the cottage. He has the money. He has the success. He has the followers. He has the fans. He has the fame of nations. He has all the honor that could possibly be given to him. But it's not enough. He wants more. And in his desire for more, he is going to lose the most important thing that he could possibly lose. Look at what he did, verse 16. Watch where his heart takes him. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now pause that for a second because to 21st century ears, it sounds like he walked into some place and turned on the aromatherapy machine. No big deal, what's going on? Well, this is actually a huge deal. You would gasp at reading this. The offering of incense is a priestly role. You are ordained, consecrated, placed into that position. It's your right by birth. It's your right by consecration. You do this, not the king. The incense symbolizes the appeasing of God's wrath. It, it demonstrates and welcomes in the presence of God within the temple. And that is not something the king is to do. Now, on rare occasions, on rare occasions, the king is allowed to make some offerings. But taking on the priestly role, being the king and the priest at the same time, that's forbidden. And there's no way that he's going to get honor from the Lord in this. In fact, the Old Testament is filled with multiple occasions where the offering and the sacrifices of God are treated with disrespect, and it's no big deal. We'll just do it like this. And these are stories from Zechariah that Uzziah would have grown up with. Think about Saul, the unlawful sacrifice of Saul, or the sons of Korah in the book of Numbers, or Aaron's sons, or Eli's children. But here is Uzziah, knowing full well he shouldn't do it, but thinking he can do whatever he wants. With all that he's accomplished, it's not enough. The man wants more. He's treating the sacred with profanity. He's making what's holy into something common. He's doing what he wants to do regardless of what God has told him. He wants more, 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 more. And his pride, his heart lifted high, leads him to destruction. Now the priests, they know what's going on right away. They understand what the king is doing, and they rush in to stop him. Look at verse 17. 
But Azariah, the priest, that's the chief priest, went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. Yes, they were men of valor. They're opposing the man in the country. They're standing against the king who can do whatever he wants. Men of valor, you bet. Verse 18, and they withstood the king Uzziah and said to him, it's not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. For the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense, go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. These brave priests stand against the man, the man who can do anything he wants, now who's being told he can't do something. How does that work out in your life when you see that playing out? Confronted, Uzziah has a choice to make. You're doing something wrong, king. Stop it. He can say, you're right, and walk out. Or he can try and get his way. He chooses poorly, verse 19. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had the censer in his hand to burn incense, and when he became angry with the priests, notice, when he became angry with the priests. Leprosy broke out on his forehead. In the presence of the priests and in the household of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous on his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and Uzziah himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. Immediate judgment. Immediately judged. Immediately the leprosy appears on his forehead. You know when you've got a skin condition, a skin blemish? Where is the worst possible place to have that? Right in the center of your head, unicorn style. Everybody sees it. Your friend tells you, no, it's no big deal. (laughs) How are you going to hide leprosy on the forehead? And I think that's God's point. Bang, right on the forehead, everybody sees it right away. This man is judged, a sign of judgment he would carry for the rest of his life. It startles the priest, as you might imagine. It startles the king, as you might imagine, and they all run out. It's a panic fleeing of the scene, like a lightning bolt on a soccer field in the middle of a game. It's a wake-up call. We have got to get out of here. Now watch this. The judgment isn't just leprosy. For this man, with all of his prosperity, for everything that he has accomplished, the man who wanted more, 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 the Bible tells us now that Uzziah will lose the greatest thing he ever had. Verse 21, and King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and being a leper, lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household governing the people of the land. Now, verse 21 actually records for you three losses. First, he lost his house. He had to live alone. Second, he lost his public position. Now his son Jotham becomes the public figure of the monarchy. But it gets worse. The third thing he loses And this is the most disastrous loss of all. He has lost access to the presence of the Lord in his life. Because of his leprosy, he's excluded from the temple now. 
the symbolic presence of the Lord, where the king himself was allowed to go to worship. Now excluded. Still got the borders. Still got the troops. Still got the money. Still got the farm. But he's lost access to the presence of the Lord. He's lost the real prosperity that he had in his life. And now this is the second thing I'll say for us today. When it comes to prosperity, I want you to remember this secondly, that the Lord himself is the greatest treasure. Uzziah's pride takes hold, convinces him of things that are not true. All the accomplishments, all the battles won, all the wealth, all the power, everything that God had broken doors down for this man to receive. Uzziah takes a look at it all and says, look at what I have done. And that leads him in his heart to forget the Lord. A quick sidebar here. Your first name that you were given, does it mean something? Mine, Craig, means apparently rock. But most days I just feel like silly putty. Blue. Uzziah's name means the Lord is my strength. But he didn't believe that anymore. Uzziah believed that Uzziah was Uzziah's strength. And in that moment, he became one of the poorest men in all of his kingdom. But here's the thing. I believe Uzziah knew what he lost. He had it, and then he lost it. We don't have much of the rest of the story, not even from 2 Kings, but we do know that when the leprosy appeared, lesson learned, he immediately responds in obedience, and there's good indication to believe that there was repentance in his heart. The writer, the chronicler, tells us and marks his life as one of the good kings in the end, after all. I believe Uzziah knew what he lost. But here's my fear. My fear is that we may be in the same place as Uzziah, and we don't even realize it. To be a leper distanced from the presence of God and not even know that you're distanced from God with hearts lifted up, taking credit for what was given to us, never satisfied, hearts wanting more, 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 and not even knowing, not even realizing, because we've never tasted anything different, not even knowing that we're living impoverished lives. Uh, prayer life is weak, it's ineffectual, it's random. Is God even there? Is God even listening? Time in the Word is next to nil. Maybe opening up the Bible on Sundays, if even... No community with other believers, no thanksgiving in my life, no honor and worship to God happening, no real joy, no real peace, no real stillness, lots of anxiety, lots of anger in my life. You could be a leper separated from the presence of God and not even know it. Now hold on a second, because there's so much hope for you today if you're thinking that's you slowly realizing that maybe you got some leprosy on your forehead. So much hope. Uzziah's life is a portrait for us of what real prosperity is, how to get it and how to keep it. And so far, we've seen a couple lessons. Let me summarize them here for you. 
Here's the first lesson we saw. Everything you have comes from God. We've seen this. Everything we have comes from God. So we today should stop taking credit for things that were just given to us. Stop taking credit for the money that you have, for the home that you have, for the children that you have, the brain that you have, the body that you have. Those are gifts given to you. Who gives a gift to someone and has them open it up on their birthday? And that someone who receives the gift looks at the gift and goes, oh, that's so great. Thank me for the gift. Who does that? What kind of a person does that? What kind of a Christian receives all that we have from God and presumes that it's because of our own efforts, our own skills, our own brains? Yeah, I lined up willfully and chose to be born in 21st century North America in lots of money. Stop taking credit for gifts that are given to you. Thankfulness is the only real response. Gratitude, generosity. Everything you have comes from God. Here's the second piece of application for us. You could have millions and miss it all. You could be a leper, separated from the presence of God and not even know it. Locked out away from him. Still wealthy, yep. Still powerful, yep, but without the real treasure of this life. Uzziah's pride led him to believe and reach beyond his role as a king. He wasn't satisfied with just being a king. He wanted to be a priest, too. But here's the thing. Uzziah can't be a king and a priest at the same time. Students of the Bible, listen again. Can't be a king and a priest at the same time. Because only one man would hold that job. There's only one who would carry the title of king of kings and priest over all. There's only one who with his crown would walk into the throne room of God and offer his life up as a sacrifice for sins. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. And here's the good news for you. For you, if you've got a little bit of leprosy today. I read this in Mark chapter one this week, I think this fits. And a leper came to him, that's, that's Jesus. Now we're in the New Testament, hundreds of years later. And he implored him, saying, and kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Imploring and kneeling. If you want to, Jesus, you can take it away. If you want to, Jesus, you can make me whole. And look at verse 41. Maybe read today for your own heart. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Listen, there's grace for you today in Jesus. Grace for you who have never realized that your greatest treasure in this life is not the stuff of the world, not the money in the world, not the things in the world that you can buy or own or possess. 
The greatest treasure in the world is the Lord himself. There's grace for you today who are learning this for the first time. There's grace for you today who have forgotten this. You have understood that, but you've wandered away. There's been the lies of the world around you. You've been engrossed in the things, the stuff and the people and the money and the potential, and you've loved this world, but there's grace for you today. There's grace for the one who is seeking true prosperity. Real prosperity, real wealth in the treasure of the person of God himself. If you come to him, if you confess to him your sins, God, I've lifted up my heart. God, I've forgotten you. God, my thankless heart is leading me astray. It's ruining me. My pride is destroying me. I am far from you, God. I've lost the presence of God in my life. Please, God, would you help me? Would you be moved with pity and reach out and touch me also? If you come to Jesus, even now, there's grace. The hands of a Savior to make you clean. Not just for you coming for the first time, but for you who know this, who knew better. God is calling you to return to real prosperity. Two lessons. Everything you have comes from God. You could have millions and miss it all, and that leads us to the third one. You don't have to have a penny to your name to be the wealthiest person in this world. That is good news. You don't have to have a penny to your name to be the wealthiest in this world. If you have the Lord, and you understand this now, I think, if you have the Lord, and by that I mean the Lord is the greatest treasure in your life, then you have more than all the kings of this world. Because your delight is in the Lord, and you can seek him, and he meets your needs, and even greater than all of that, listen, you will understand more than others that your God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus, and you seek him because he's the source of treasure. Listen, here's the whole point of today's message, okay? Your prosperity is not about how much you have. It's about who you have. It's not about all the things that you've acquired. It's about who has acquired you, who gave his life for you. Because when the Lord is all you have, you come to the beautiful realization that the Lord is all you truly need. You don't have to have a penny to your name to be the wealthiest person in the world. And that is true prosperity. True prosperity the Lord calls us to return to. Let's pray together. Lord, I I freely recognize, I freely believe that there's a bit of Uzziah's heart in all of us. It's very tempting to look at what we have been given. It's very tempting to look at the things around us and to begin to take credit, to begin to own things that were just gifts given to us. It's very tempting to have a thankless heart. It's very tempting to have a covetous heart that says, I want more, it's not enough. God, I pray pray that for all of us here in this place,
that you would draw forth from us a repentance and a thankfulness, a true joy and gratitude for all that you have given to us. We thank you, God, for the open arms of a Savior who welcomes us into his presence. And the truth be told is that the things that we fret about in this world, the stuff, the cars, the money, the vacations, the clothing, that won't survive entrance into eternity. But you'll be there. The greatest treasure will be there, shining like the light of a sun. God, for all of us, draw forth a, a brokenness and a repentance. But Lord, I, I, for some, this is more than others. For some, they've been really wrapped up, really falling victim to pride, the belief that they're the reason why. And rather than gratitude, there's, there's a thanklessness. There's an entitled position there's a belief that they're the reason why they have what they have. Anything less than the mercy and the grace of God upon our life. God, I pray for them as well, that you would, that they would in their brokenness come to you to find forgiveness. And Lord, lastly, maybe for some the very first time today, needing to hear the truth that they are loved and that forgiveness is there that a life of real meaning and real purpose and value beyond the stuff of this flat existence is available to them. That they would find peace and joy and forgiveness in the work of the Lord Jesus on their behalf. God, I pray for repentance there. And now, God, I also pray for joy as we celebrate, Lord, this truth that even penniless, we are the wealthiest alive in you. I pray, God, for a, a, a joyful heart, even as we sing this last song together, that you would fill our hearts with a love for you and a delight in you, that we have been found by the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that we are loved with a limitless love. So, Lord, would your people, would your people praise you now from this kind of heart as well. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you. Thank you for life found in you. Please lead us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.